Oh, hey. Uh, hey, guys. Sorry, I forgot you were here. Um, hey, welcome to RUF, uh, Reformed University Fellowship. My name is Chris Horn, and I'm the campus minister here. Uh, very happy to see all of you and welcome to you, especially if you're new. Uh, I would love to get to know you guys. I'm very aware that like every week there's about like 150 people that come in here. I have no idea who you are, and then you leave. Uh, I, would, I would love to get to know you. Uh, you're not alone. I would like to know you. Um, I don't know if you want to be my friend, but I want to be yours. Uh, anyway, well, welcome to RUF. Tonight we're going to be looking uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. It is the first book of the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 6, we're going through a series uh, called Questions God Asks. And this is just times in the scripture where um, God is asking a question. And uh, God teaches us a lot about ourselves uh, and himself through these questions that he asks us. So we're going to be in Matthew 6. Uh, thank you to Charlie and Jonathan um, for being with us tonight and for making uh, their announcement. It sounds like a really neat event. Uh, I encourage you guys to go out um, and just sort of hear from different faculty about their perspectives on, on life and on religion. Uh, one of the great things about being at a university is that there are so many different you know, sort of backgrounds, different philosophies, religions, all kind of in one place. You'll realize when you graduate from college that that's a pretty rare type of environment. Uh, it's a very exciting kind of environment. I know for some of you guys it's like a bummer. You're like, man, I wish everybody here was like the people in my high school. Um, or you're like, thank God that the people in here aren't like the people in my high school. Um, but anyway, but college is a great place for that. Uh, when I was in school, uh, I studied photography, and uh, which you would never know now, um, really paying off in my career. Uh, but my major professor, um, it was at Georgia Southern, ironically, and, um, and uh, boo, yeah. We will see on Saturday, won't we? Um, <clears throat> my major professor uh, was an atheist. She was a very strong atheist, and she was kind of uh, talked about it in class. And she was very frustrated with Christian students, a lot of times rightly so. Uh, I don't think I did much to ease her frustrations, um, because I had become a Christian in college. So I was like this baby Christian, and with this, like, this a terrible personality. And so I don't, um, <laughs> I don't think that I really eased her frustration, and we butted heads a lot. Um, but anyway, one time I remember I was getting ready uh, for uh, my senior exhibition in photography, and uh, I, had a, I had a piece in this exhibition, and it was called Love Your Neighbor. And I showed it to her, and in addition to not liking the piece, which was fine, uh, she got really angry with the title, because she said, you know, it's ridiculous that you believe that God would command you to love somebody. Like, that's really offensive. You can't just tell someone they have to love someone, Right? Uh, and from her perspective, it was really unfair of God to command us to love people. Um, because if you ever love somebody, ever love something, like you know that there's like a lot of risk involved in loving someone. Um, if you love someone, they might hurt you. If you love someone, they might reject you. They might go away. Um, and uh, for God to come in and just out of nowhere say, you have to love people, and then just kind of disappear off the scene would be terribly um, unfair and offensive because it's hard to love people. Um, but God doesn't work that way. And I think that there was something that she missed um, because she thought that the Bible or the gospel was just a list of rules um, by some unseen, distant Lord, just a list of rules for us to follow, do's and don'ts. 
Um, but the biblical gospel formula is never God showing up and giving us rules saying, don't do this or do this, and then just leaving the scene. That's not how God works. That's not uh, the pattern of the Bible. The way the gospel formula works is like this. God doesn't say, don't do this and leave. God comes in and he says, here's who I am. Here's what I've done for you. I've rescued you. I've made promises to you. Now, in light of that, don't do this thing that will really hurt you and harm you uh, and grieve me. Instead, do this good thing that will give you joy and will give me glory. Um, Probably the best or clearest example of this is from Exodus chapter 20. Uh, If you're not familiar with Exodus, it's the story of God saving Israel from Egypt. Like maybe you've seen Prince of Egypt. Uh, You know, that's it. And uh, so just watch Prince of Egypt and it's just like reading the Bible. Um, But in Exodus chapter 20, after God, like the the Israelites were slaves in Israel. uh, And God comes and he rescues them miraculously. Ten plagues, you know this, parting the sea, all this. And uh, they're out in the wilderness and God comes to them to give them the law. The Ten Commandments. Um, But before God tells them anything about these laws, he says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the house of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, have no other gods before me. Don't make yourself any graven images, and so on and so forth. Uh, Tonight in our passage, Jesus is saying, don't have worries. Like, don't be worried about your life. And if Jesus was just to come in and say, hey guys, um, just don't worry about anything. Just stop worrying about stuff. That would be tremendously unfair. Saying don't worry would be like saying don't breathe or don't be a human being. You know, like all of us are worried about something. Like we all have anxieties. We're always worried, you know, maybe this won't turn out. Maybe this will happen this way. What am I going to do with my future? Um, And just to come in and say, stop being anxious, stop it, uh, would be unfair. It would be impossible. Do you have any idea what it would look like just to stop worrying about stuff? No, we don't have those kind of resources. Jesus doesn't do what the big mouth Billy Bass does. You guys remember the big mouth Billy Bass? It was like the lamest as seen on TV toy. You know, it hung on the wall. And what did it say? Don't worry, be happy, right? Don't worry, be happy is the absolute worst advice that you could ever receive. But Jesus doesn't say, don't worry, be happy. Jesus doesn't swoop in and just tell us to do something. He always gives us this gospel formula. So uh, let's look at this passage together after that very lengthy introduction. Um, And let's see how Jesus talks to us about our anxiety. So we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Uh, Listen. This is the word of God. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not, are you not more, of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Uh, Father, uh, this is your word. We're thankful for it. We're thankful that you're at work through it. Um, Lord, I'm mindful that there are a lot of things that could be said about this passage. They could be said better. They could be said more fully. Um, But Lord, would you come to be with us now? uh, Teach us how to trust you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Okay, so Jesus here is teaching us to not be anxious. He says, don't be anxious. But he's not coming in saying that on its own. He's going to give us this gospel formula, okay? And it's going to go like this. Jesus is going to tell us what not to do, namely, don't be anxious. What to do, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then he's going to show us the gospel, the good news that motivates it all. So that's kind of our outline. What not to do, what to do, and the gospel that motivates it all. So what not to do, don't be anxious. Um, This passage uh, comes in the middle of Matthew 5 to 7, which is often called the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' probably most famous section of teaching. And what's going on here is Jesus has been teaching out in Israel, and he's gathered these people all up on this hillside, and they're all sitting around, and he's teaching them. And he's saying, when I'm coming now, now that I'm here, a new kingdom is coming in to play. The kingdom of this world is passing away, and the kingdom of God is here. And here, let me teach you about what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. And so here he says, don't be anxious. You know, if you live in God's kingdom, you don't have to be anxious, um, particularly about what you will wear and what you will eat. Uh, And the word that's translated as anxious uh, means distracted. Uh, Don't let these things distract you. Don't let these things take your mind off of what you should be focused on. Uh, don't think about these, these, these material things that you need. Don't obsess over them. Don't turn them over and over in your mind. Don't let them be the objects of your attention. Uh, but, you know, like what to eat and what to drink and what to wear are valid concerns. You know, God created us to eat and to drink and to wear, you know, wear clothing. Uh, those are good things. Uh, But according to Jesus, the problem occurs when we take these very valid, normal uh, concerns, these material concerns, and then we make them something that we are. We begin to obsess over them, to focus our minds and our hearts on them, and they distract us. So imagine all these people that are out, they're sitting on a hillside. And Jesus wants to tell them about, uh, about what it looks like not to worry. And so Jesus is a great teacher, so he says, look at these birds that are flying around. Uh, Birds don't farm. That's the thing could be agreed upon. Um, They don't till the earth. They don't get stressed out when their uh, barns get low, right? Because they don't have barns because they're birds. Unless you build them one, then they would have a barn. Uh, But birds don't labor in that way. They don't store up things uh, for the future the way that human beings do. They don't work the way that we do. 
uh, they don't stress out about where their food is going to come from. Uh, they don't stress out about that. Now, birds at the same time, uh, the lesson here isn't be like a bird and just be wild and fancy free. And wherever you find your food and whatever, you know, outside of the farm cafe in the back, like, you know, uh, you know, that's, that's this. No, no, no. It's not saying that at all. I mean, birds obviously work hard. You know, birds are probably more hardworking than most of us. They're constantly gathering food, building their nests, uh, and all that. But the way that birds work is without the burden of worry. Birds aren't anxious. There's a simple trust in animals and in birds that they will be provided for, that the food will be there. Um, and then there's these wildflowers, right? He's like, hey, look at these wildflowers, uh, these lilies of the field. You know, uh, one of the best parts about moving, I will say that while I do believe that Georgia Southern is a you know, more dominant football team, uh, that it is much, much, much higher quality of life in Boone than in, in Statesboro. Um, uh, Boone is a beautiful place, except for it's snowing right now, and it's like the middle of October, but that's okay. Uh, but one of the coolest things about moving here was like walking, like going out in the parkway and walking on the trail, and just seeing these random flowers, right? Like no one planted these flowers here. Like if I tried, I could not have more beautiful flowers than this in my yard, yet they just spring up. In the grass, and that's what Jesus is saying. He's pointing to these flowers that are in the grass, and they're just dazzlingly beautiful, right? They're very simple and elegant. Uh, and he says, not even Solomon can compare to this. Uh, Solomon was the most wealthy king uh, ever in Israel, and he was known for his wisdom, and he was known for his beautiful clothing, his beautiful sense of architecture. Uh, you know, he was the original, you know, fashionista. Um, in Israel. I don't know the Hebrew for fashionista, I'm sorry. Um, but even with Solomon, the most wealthiest, uh, most stylish person that exists in Israel, he can't even compare to one of these random flowers. But these flowers, obviously, they don't make their own clothing, right? Uh, they don't work for it. And additionally, when these flowers die and this grass gets cut down, people would come and throw it into their furnaces to start their fires if they didn't have wood. It's thrown away. And what Jesus is doing here is he's highlighting to us how silly our anxieties can be. Um, You know, all of us deal with anxiety. All of us have worries. Some of us have like a more clinical, gripping sense of anxiety um, that uh, in some ways is very different than just the regular anxieties and worries of life. But Jesus is saying, on on the whole, in the main, our anxieties are kind of silly. Because they're unreasonable. They're illogical. Um, if, you believe, if you belong to Jesus, don't you think that God cares more about you than he does about birds? Well, right, of course. I mean, you'd say, yeah, of course he does. Like, if you belong to Jesus, don't you think that God cares more about what you wear than what flowers wear? Right, of course. Our anxieties feel very real. When my daughter wakes up crying and says that there's something in her closet, it feels very real to her. Um, but opening the closet will reveal that it was unreasonable, that there's nothing there, there's nothing for her to fear, there's nothing for her to be worried about. So Jesus is showing us that our fears, our anxieties are kind of unreasonable because God, of course, will take care of us. But for most of us, I don't think that our issue is that we're like, man, where's my next meal going to come from? Or like, will I have clothes? Like, this is kind of like falling apart, and when it's gone, I don't have any more shirts. I don't think that's, you know, probably not most of our... Issue, But Jesus is talking more about a heart issue, as he usually is. Uh, look in verse 31 and 32. 
uh, Jesus says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Uh, when he says Gentile there, it's basically a synonym for unbeliever. He's saying, unbelievers who don't know God worry about these things. They seek after things. Because what else is there for them to seek after? They don't know God that provides these things. So how could they seek God? They just seek after these things. They live for these things. They pursue these things. Their lives are spent in pursuit of material goods in some uh, sense. You know, food, clothing, pleasure, wealth. Uh, They're an end in themselves for unbelievers. Um, Because if you're an unbeliever, you have to think, I have to get these things on my own. There is no deity, no heavenly father that is going to provide for me. So it's on me to be the king of this kingdom, to provide for my kingdom, whether it's your family or yourself. And you have to go get it because you're the king of your kingdom. Um, So they seek, they pursue. Jesus used that word seek a lot of times. They seek their physical, material goods. And Jesus is saying when we worry, when we're gripped by anxiety, when we're gripped by fear, we do the same thing. That we're functionally atheists when we fear and we worry this way. Um, I mean, because what's typically going through your mind in the J. Crew changing room? Um, is it like, man, this, this outfit's really cute and that's great? Probably at a more fundamental level, level, there's like, if I get the right outfit, he will notice me. And then maybe he will want to be with me. And then my gripping fear of being alone will be satiated. I won't have to be alone. Or maybe if I'm more attractive, then I will get further. People will notice me. I will get the things that I want. Uh, but it's always for some end. Um, you know, I, I quote this guy a lot, uh, David Bazan. Uh, he has a great song called, uh, When They Really Get to Know You, They Will Run. Uh, it's a really good song. Um, but the chorus goes... Put on whatever makes you attractive. If it's not you, then do it for the sake of fashion. Your friend's like a certain you. That's who you've got to be. Uh, there's always a certain you that we're trying to be, whether we're men or women. You know, it's like, why are we constantly scrolling Amazon and Pinterest? Uh, why are we carefully crafting our image on Facebook and on Instagram? Like, man, it's just, when I get up, it's just effortless for me, you know? I'm out here on Rough Ridge, and I just look great, even though I've hiked up. Uh, (laughs) We want people to notice, because we have some kind of goal or desire for them. That's why we seek after these things. Or, gentlemen, uh, the job that you're so desperate to get when you graduate, um, that you want that job because then you will be financially independent. Uh, which is one of the most devastating phrases that you could ever really have. Financially independent. You can't get engaged now. Right? You need to wait till you get your job. And then you get settled. And you become financially stable. And then you kind of put this fence around yourself where no one can come at you. You're stable. Everything's taken care of. And then none of this will go away. Then I can ask her to marry me. Uh, I need to be stable. I need to control my own future. Um, Because I think that we're not sure whether God is qualified to handle our future or not. Um, 
you know, but we have this sense that, like, we want to control our future. That's why we seek after things. But we can't control our future because there's other people. And if we believe in God, we're like, well, maybe his, his idea will be different than mine. And so then we lose sleep. And we begin to worry and turn it over and over and over. What if I don't get that job? What if he doesn't notice me? What if that wasn't the right chambray top uh, to wear to RUF uh, tonight? Um, we think that we're qualified to steer the ship. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting. In Luke chapter 12, Luke records Jesus teaching the same thing at another um, spot. Uh, but Jesus ends kind of this same lesson by saying, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What keeps you up? And that came out really weird. <laughs> Wouldn't it be so much more interesting if I talked like that all the time? Um, oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> I worry that these things might happen when I'm up here. So this, is, this is to me as well. Uh, someone snorted. Victoria snorted. That's sweet. Okay. Um, but she's getting married, so there's nothing to worry about. Uh, it's in the bag. Um, what, what is it that you are worried about? Uh, what is it that you're losing sleep of? When, you, when you're in class and you space out for like 15 minutes, which I know that none of you do when you're in like biology... Um, and you're looking out the window, what is it that you're running over and over and over in your mind? That interaction that you had or that interaction that you wanted to have or when he did say yes or he said no or he ignored you or you didn't get that interview that you wanted. Jesus is asking, what are you seeking after? What are you pursuing? What are you going after? And Jesus says, don't be anxious about these things. So what not to do is don't be anxious. Don't worry, the rest of the points are shorter. Uh, Don't be anxious But then he says what to do. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Uh, Philip Melanchthon, um, the only person in here that knows who that is, is Will Wingate probably. Uh, Philip Melanchthon was uh, one of the reformers in the 16th century. So I think Martin Luther, John Calvin, he's one of these guys. And uh, Philip Melanchthon was a brilliant theologian, uh, but he was plagued by worry and anxiety. Um, he probably had like an anxiety disorder likely because um, he was so, always so worried about things. And it's said that Martin Luther would, of, would often come up to Melanchthon and put his hand on his shoulder and he would say, let Philip cease to rule the world. He was reminding Philip Melanchthon that he isn't God, that he wasn't God. I have a friend uh, that likes to say to me, um, there is a Holy Spirit and you are not him. Um, Jesus is doing the same thing. Jesus is warning us of the danger of trying to be God, of trying to be the king of our kingdom, the captain of our ship. And he says, instead of doing that, instead of pursuing these things and then worrying about them and acting like functionally there is no God, recognize that God is the king of the world. Submit to God. Bow the knee to God. Give glory to the king. Uh, When he says, uh, seek first the kingdom of God, of course that means get your priority straight. Let that be your first priority. But what he means is recognize in your heart that God is the king of the world. And he's the king over your heart. And then do everything you can that the people uh, people around you will submit to God in their heart too. And then whatever kind of vocation that you go into, education or social work or banking or whatever, in that place, 
let your focus be that God will be king over that place and God will be recognized and given glory as the king. Bow to the king. Um, Care more about what God thinks than what you think. Care more about God's priorities than your priorities. And on a horizontal level, care more about other people than you care about yourself. Uh, And if you think, like right now, you're like, okay, that sounds good. But like try to do that. Try to care about your girlfriend or boyfriend more than you care about yourself. Uh, It's kind of impossible. Uh, You know, the thing about a marriage, um, the, 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 the point of a marriage is not to find someone that makes you the best possible person. It's not to find someone that will take your game to the next level, right? Um, the point of a marriage is to learn how to treat someone like they're more important than you are. It's learning day by day with a lot of failures um, that like, what she wants is more important than what I want. His happiness is more important than my happiness. It's a lowering of yourself, um, not a raising up of yourself. It's being content with what your spouse wants. And that is a really good example of what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God, to seek first the kingdom of God, to lower yourself, to put your priorities below God's priorities. But it's, it's so hard. And like, what on earth could ever motivate someone to do that? Um, why would anyone ever want to give up their priorities for someone else, their happiness for someone else? What could make you care more about what God thinks than what you think? What could possibly motivate you? Think about it. What would make it worth it? Jesus tells us what makes it worth it. And so this is the last point, the gospel motivation. Um, All throughout the passage, Jesus has been dropping in this gospel motivation, and maybe you didn't notice it. But let's walk through it. He talks about birds, right? And then what does he say? Are you of not of more value than they? God thinks you're valuable. He thinks you're more valuable than birds. Um, He thinks that you're worth something. He's put a value, a worth mark on you. Um, He thinks that you're more beautiful than wildflowers. You aren't just a face and the crowd to the Lord. You are of infinite importance to him. And Jesus says that unbelievers seek after all things. But what does he say about us? Your heavenly father knows that you need them. Um, That that may strike you as weird if you didn't have a father. I didn't have a father. Um, But this is especially good news for those of us without fathers. We have a Father in heaven that cares for us. He knows all of your needs. And He has power, real power, to meet your needs. Um, He says what at the end? But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and what? All these things will be added to you. There's a promise. God promises to give you everything that you need. So when Jesus says to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, it bears asking one thing. What did Jesus seek? What did Jesus pursue? What did Jesus care about? What did Jesus set his mind on and turn over and over and over 
in his mind. Luke says in Luke chapter 19, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. The thing that Jesus sought after is you and me. Um, The thing that Jesus saw as his ultimate treasure, uh, worth giving up anything for, and worth doting on in his mind and in his heart, was you. And when the price for having you was his own blood, he didn't think that it was too high for him. But he was willing to pay it to have you. Uh, Jesus didn't die and go to the cross just in some strange, weird sense just to pay for your sins so you could go to heaven. Jesus went and he paid with his blood to have you because he wants you. Um, Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. You and I were worth it for him. Uh, the, the book of Hebrews tells us to look to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You ever thought about what the joy is that was set before him that made him endure the cross? It was you. And it was me. If you belong to Jesus, it is not uh, an extrapolation. It's not an exaggeration to say when God looks at you, he feels rich and he feels happy. And he feels joyful because all he ever wanted was you. And the reason why Jesus says he doesn't just say stop worrying and get over it and pull yourself up and like, you know, grow a set and let's get after this thing. (laughs) Thankfully. Jesus gives us real motivation, real resources to follow him. He says we don't have to worry because guess what? God cares more about you than you care about yourself. He cares more about your future, more about your career, more about your spouse, more about your looks, more about your personality, more about your character, more about your devotional time than you do. And in light of that, can you trust him? Um, That is motivation that will start to take our eyes off of what we're seeking and put them on Jesus. Because what did Hebrews say? Fix your eyes on Jesus. And that doesn't mean that you will never worry about something again. That doesn't mean that you won't feel real anxiety about things again. But it it, it means that we can begin, by God's grace, to look at something that will give us real joy. Uh, My wife pointed out to me earlier when we looked at this passage, the worst thing about worry is that it sucks away your joy. Jesus comes to give real joy and happiness and satisfaction. It's so much better than our worries Uh, Romans 8 says this, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also graciously give us all things? He didn't spare his son for you. Do you have anything else like that, whether you're a Christian or not? Do you have anything that will give you real joy and kill your worry like that? Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you that in Jesus we can have joy and that, uh, Lord, the things that we struggle with, um, the things that beset us on all sides, they may not go away tomorrow, but we know that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And thank you for teaching us 
that we of little faith still have a stake in you because you love us and you pursue us. Lord, take our eyes off of ourselves, off of our obsessions, Lord, then place them on you. I pray in Jesus' name.